Okay, we are coming to you guys live from uh, the Foxhole app, Twitch, and other places out in the nether realms of the internet universe. And I hope everyone's having a great night. Uh, just hopped off of the Q&A holes live and hopping on to the C report for another late night report. Uh, this will be the last one for the weekend. I appreciate you guys understanding. Uh, Y'all got used to me in my one week of coming to you guys on Fox app, Foxhole app at 5 p.m. We'll be back at 5 p.m. tomorrow. Um, and so uh, we'll be get, getting back to a regular, regularly scheduled program. Or I don't like to use the word program. I just, you know, it's got a bad taste to it. Um, show. I got you because I know you guys are ready for the show. And let's see here. God, you know, it just doesn't feel the same without that intro. But it's okay, guys. All right. So it's been a long day. It's been a long day. I've had a lot of stuff going on and, uh, you know, a lot of errands to run, etc. So I hope you all are doing well out there. Now for tonight's show, I actually was like, you know, because I spent the whole day um, going through, you know, reports, uh, reading headlines, stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes you tend to get lost in that rabbit hole, right? And you start to go down and down and down. And especially in the way that I like to do some of the reading that I do, like I just, I can go down so many rabbit holes. And there were, there were plenty of interesting headlines, of course. Um, as everyone knows, the dominating headline for day, today had to do with that thing over in Minnesota. Um, and, uh, you know, all the speculation, whatever people want to do, all of the verdicts, all of the knowledge, all the facts and lack thereof. Wrapped up into one nice little ball there, right? Well, anyways, guys, so we're not going to talk about that tonight. Um, we'll just let that play out as it is. Uh, and we'll see where that ends up. There's plenty plenty of the legacy media outlets out there talking about it. Uh, whether they're disappointed or they're happy or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, tonight, actually, uh, because like I was saying, um, I had a lot of headlines I was going through. I was going down several rabbit holes. Uh, time was starting to get crunched. And, you know, I had errands to do, doctor's appointments, etc. And um, so I was like, yeah what am I going to do tonight? Like, I need to make sure I get this good. But, you know, as always, we do like to feature the words of our president, uh, President Donald Trump here on the C-Report. I think it's very important that we hear the words of our president. So tonight we're actually going to be airing an interview that he did last night uh, uh, on Sean Hannity's presentation over at Faux News. Um, now we know that uh, President Trump has given several interviews in the course of his um uh the course of his optically stepping off of the uh presidential seat there in the white house on pennsylvania avenue um and and you know a lot of people were kind of wondering what his moves were going to be what he was going to do uh all those good things and i mean really guys like um the, the question keeps coming up is the man gonna run again in 2024 you know well it, i mean it's absolutely my hope that he won't have to because after all i still do believe that he is the legitimate president of the united states of america and i'm pretty sure that there's some important people that feel that same way too i know i'm not alone in that cause or or in that direction so We'll be taking a listen to the interview tonight. Now, here's the thing about it, guys, like, because I, I, I do feel guilty when I'm like, I'm playing all of this video footage and I'm not getting to the headlines. But again, it is important that we hear the words of our president. Um, I think through and through, through all of this, you don't want to listen to the pundits. You don't want to listen to the talking heads. You don't want to listen to the news analysts, even if you trust them. 
diligently with all your heart. You don't want to listen to Mr. C. You want to listen to the words of your president, because in the end, uh, that man did take up the charge. He was the spearhead of this uh, America First Patriot movement. At least he had the guts to do it. You know what I mean? And, um, and, and with that, he also received the support uh, from those um, patriotic players in the government who are still he, still standing by their oath and who are still standing by the things that they believe in, the country that they believe in, the idea, the essence of what America stands for, right? So um, we'll give a, a few words to him, and it's it's a it's a bit of a presentation. It's it's about uh, forty minutes long, and so we but we are going to do that. I'm going to play that in just a minute for you guys. And um, the funny thing is, like when I was uh, pulling this information up earlier in the day. They had the uh, Trump Hannity interview all over the place, all over the place. Um, and it was kind of hard to find the full length at first, you know, uh, hop around Rumble, hop around YouTube. And, you know, the only reason you go over to ScrewTube is because those are the links that they provide for you in your searches, even if you're at DuckDuckGo, right? And... Um, I was ready to go, guys. I was, I was like, all right, we got this interview. We're ready to go. We're ready to roll. And as of 9.30 p.m. Central Time, those interviews were all scrubbed. Like, all of them. Everything on ScrewTube, gone. And then on Rumble, they had a couple, but they weren't the full-length interview. Uh, so I was like, oh, Christ. What am I... Oh, crikey. What am I going to do? You know, like... Um, this this uh, interview, uh, who Hannity touted as his first sit-down interview on TV, which, you know, I'll give it to Hannity, even though his first interview sit-down was with uh, his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, on her, um, her, her show, The Right View. Um, but I, I guess for the major networks, you know, this would have been one that was the first sit-down in person. We have Hannity in Mar-a-Lago doing the sit-down interview with President Trump. And... Um, uh, you know, the thing that I appreciated about it uh, in watching, I got to see most of it the first time through, um, is that Hannity doesn't seem to have that sense of telegraphing for the enemy like Judge Jeanine Pirro did when she was so adamant about trying to really circle in on the date that he would be visiting the border, the southern border of the United States of America. Like, she was very adamant. If you guys were to, uh, to find that interview and review it, or go back to the C Report, we have the, we actually do have that interview on the C Report, uh, where she was just like, uh, what date are you going? Do you know what day you're going? Can you give us an idea of the date that you're going? And, and I just really felt like she was telegraphing for the enemy. Um, I used to love Judge Janine. Um, I thought she was a firebrand. I thought, you know, she, she really spoke truth to power and she did she did for the most part but that again is to say that you never know um what way these people are going to go you never know if these people are truly just that good at being shills like uh uh the things like we hear about tucker carlson whom also i was a fan of you know but the, somehow they get lost in the quagmire um don't know what it is and what it what the specifics could be like i know with with carlson and i'm not trying to stir up the pot and speculation but they are saying like he was a uh, he was um a, a a favorite and and a frequent 
patron of Ping Pong Pizza over there and, uh, or Comet Pizza, Comet Ping Pong, whatever it was called over there in DC, you know, where they had that whole scandal, uh, that really began, uh, to delve up the information that we later found, uh, had to do with, you know, Pedogate and, and all of that stuff. So, uh, that was disheartening, you know, that was disheartening about Carlson, of course, it's all speculation. I mean, his name was on rosters, if I'm not mistaken, pictures with young men. You know, it's what a, it's, you know, so, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, you know. And the most important thing that I could recommend from my heart is to follow your heart, especially when you're listening to pundits and and analysts, because, you know, uh, even though I've gotten into a little bit of journalism, I, I'm not a formally, you know, um, educated in the, the ways of journalism. Um, I have no credentials, guys. I'm a blue collar worker. Uh, I come to you. I, I worked my whole life, um, basically from the age of 15 up until about a year ago when COVID started. And, and uh, I haven't really worked since then, per se, you know, gainfully employed. Um, so this is this is what I do now. I consider it a public service. You know, I'm blessed to be in a situation where I can share this information and my perspective. And I'm also blessed to have an audience that listens, you know, um, and, and that gives me feedback. And, and I really do appreciate that. But again, like I'm saying, you don't have to, you know, follow the words of your favorite, you know, podcaster or your favorite, um, you know, uh, you know, analyst, you know, I would consider myself to be more of an analyst than I would be an actual reporter. Although I'm actually starting to get a little bit into investigative work. You know, I'm, I'm reaching out to people and I'm looking to bring some interviews, uh, to the table for you guys. Um, I want to introduce some of the, uh, Republican candidates that will be running in the state of Texas for 2022. So I got some of that stuff in the works. I'm, I'm trying to really spruce this up for you guys. And because like I said, I, I don't got no credentials other than what you trust in me. Right. But um, it's all about following the heart. It's all about following the gut. It's about trusting what you know and trusting yourself. You know, when it gets down to it, is the information that I'm sharing with you, is the information that I'm relaying with you, does it resonate with you? Does it resonate with the truth inside your heart, with the truth inside your soul, with the truth that you know you have come to know and rely on? Do you trust your gut? You know, that's what's important. Um, and so regardless of the things that I may say, you know, like really trust your heart, trust your soul, trust your gut. Like that is the most important thing. And that is not an easy thing to do all the time because we know the head gets in the way of the heart and the, the gut, the, the heart is the gut, you know, um, the, the brain gets in the way of that sometimes, you know, sometimes our other, our other, uh, uh, senses get in the way of trusting our gut. And some, some of us haven't even started to refine that process with inside ourselves. So it's all about, trusting your gut. Do your spidey senses go off? Like, do they start tingling whenever you hear a report and you know there's just something not right about it? You know, or does it resonate in your soul and you're like, yes, this feels right. And you know what that feeling is if you know what that feeling is. So that's the perspective that I take. That's how I uh, process the information that I receive and then transmit out to, you know, you, you guys who are um, watching this show or those of you who catch the recasts, you know, that's the way it works for me. And that's the way I always go. So like, I like to go in with an open mind and it's absolutely all about trusting my gut guys. And it's something that I've been working on for years. And, 
you know, hopefully, I mean, I feel like it's gotten me to a place that I can actually move on some of the, the ideas or even on some of the stories or even bring some of the perspectives that I might bring to you. And that's the important thing, too, about community is that we all have perspectives. We all process information differently. It's been said time and time again, I'm probably preaching to the choir, but um I just wanted to share that with you guys at the start of this because like we have this Hannity, um, we have this Hannity Trump interview. And like I said, when I was watching the Janine Pirro one, my gut, my spidey senses were tingling. I was like, she's being too emphatic about dates and times here for some reason. And I, and I don't know it to be a fact. You know, I don't know that Judge Janine was, was, was trying to telegraph the movements of President Trump so that maybe they could plan something around his trip to the border. Maybe they could try and plan an assassination and blame it on like a Mexican national or 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 an illegal immigrant i don't know you know um but that's what my gut says and so i kind of go with it um you know and if i'm wrong you know i will humbly humbly retracto <laughs> i will humbly retracto my thought and stuff like that so anyways let me get off my soapbox i was just like feeling that time since i forgot to, to play the interview because you know i'm in betwixt shows right now and, uh, and I'm still having a good time. So uh, we'll get to President Trump in a minute and his interview with Hannity. Before we get into the meat of it, I did want to go through a couple of head headlines and then we'll jump into it uh, because I wanted to share these uh, stories with you guys. Now, um, a lot of you guys have already heard about this stuff, but again, for the... Uh, for the sake of archiving and, you know, building on the story here at the Sea Report, um, I want to include these stories. So uh, we have the first one up, uh, an update on the death of Officer Sicknick over at uh, the Capitol, uh, Capitol riot false flags that happened on January 6th. Now, all of y'all know that story. Uh, this man um, suffers from, well, we had found out was a stroke and now it's been confirmed. But, you know, uh, the media, uh, people in DC, uh, even down to like the Capitol Police people, people who are doing investigations, they, and, and the Senate and all of them, they were saying this man was murdered by MAGA. This man was uh, hit on the head, beaten with a fire extinguisher, shot in the face with like, uh, with bear repellent. And I just guess like, you know, um, that uh, pepper spray for bears or whatever, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, it was really just, of course, to drive the whole narrative that MAGA was violent. And we all know the outcome. We were, we were, for those of you who were there, you know, we were there. We know it was a peaceful gathering of patriots. It was, if, to me, it was one of the most amazing feelings to be there, even though I was in my red suit and everyone was looking at me like I was some kind of outsider, I, I still got the feeling of inclusivity. I still felt welcomed. I still felt the love of everyone. Everyone was there for the same reason that was to stand up as a representation of the people who believe in following the Constitution and believe in our, our, our country and believe in the United States of America and what it stands for and also to support the man who was taking up that fight for us, you know, and, and to show them that absolutely, you know, we want to follow the constitution. Absolutely. We see you, we see you deep state performing this coup in front of everyone, um, in broad daylight. So, um, an article from the New York post talked about this Capitol officer, uh, Brian Sicknick suffered a pair of strokes and ended up dying of natural causes after helping to combat the rioters outside the Congress. Um, and so uh, the uh, 
the ME, the, the uh, medical um, in, uh, examiner who had uh, performed the autopsy, uh, his name was Francisco Diaz, and uh, that was his conclusion. His conclusion was that it was acute brain brainstem and cere cerebellar infar infar infarcts and fractures due to acute basilar artropy thrombosis. That is a whole lot of words that are kind of out of my window. You know, like, um, I'm pretty good with words, but blah, like science words, no, medical terms, no. Uh, but he also went on to say, um, because there was this whole deal about, well, maybe it was the bear pepper spray that caused this man to have a stroke later on. But um, uh, the medical examiner, again, he said no. If death had been hastened by an injury or if death had been hastened by you know the toxicity of this bear pepper spray um that he would not have listed it as death by natural causes it would have been it would have been um, cited as a different type of death and he said no this man did die a manner of death that was um sim was the same as natural causes so he he died of a stroke you know thrombosis that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's just a quick update on that. Of course, in the wrap-up smear campaigns since then, uh, they just uh, really laid it on thick with MAGA, uh, bringing about the demise of this man. And that, again, is another example for us to see, but hopefully for the people of the world to see if this story gets out, that in fact, you know, that was not the case. And it was a lie, a lie the entire time. And uh, that is unfortunately what happens here um, when we're talking about uh, these individuals. So um, let's see here. Um, also going to do a story real quick. Um, I uh, wanted to bring uh, up the uh, Stanford study that was recently published. Now, a lot of people already touched on this, but again, for the sake of archiving on the C report, we're going to go through it real quick. Uh, this is in regards to the masks and um, the lack of efficacy. Now, as, uh, as mentioned earlier on in the Q&A holes uh, live and also we kind of mentioned it a little bit on the C report yesterday. Um, I really want to get this out there because this is really, you know, the cream, the bread and butter, the cream of the crop, because the national institutes of health, are the ones who published this story. Now, I mean, it came from the National Center for Biotechnology Information. Um, that's that's where um, this article comes from, but it was published by the NIH um, by uh, Dr. Baruch uh, Van Schelbom, um, who is of the cardiology division. Um, I actually read through his abstract uh, where he talked about everything. You know, it's very, very, very... Uh, it's, it's, it's technical, you know, um, but it does have the real good information. So while I share this story with you, I'm going to put the graphic on the screen uh, of the, uh, the dangers uh, that you can um, suffer from wearing masks. So you guys can read over that while I, uh, while I go through some of this here. Uh, psycho there's physiological effects of wearing masks. There's psychological effects of wearing masks and other health consequences. Uh, but in the study uh, entitled Face Masks in the COVID-19 Era, um, it says the physical properties of medical and non-medical face masks suggest that face masks are ineffective to block viral particles due to their difference in scale. Now, we heard about this 
a lot, guys. We heard about, oh, well, uh, the, the, the uh, stitch of the thread is far too wide for the size of the virus spore to get into you, which is true. And the study proves it. In other words, it goes right through the mask. Like, the virus will go right through the mask. It's too small to be kept out of entering into your, you know, mouth or your nose or what have you. Um, it says, according to the current knowledge, the virus SARS-CoV-2 has a diameter of 60 nanometers to 140 nanometers, which is the size of a billionth of a meter, if that means anything to anyone. Uh, while medical and non-medical face masks thread diameter ranges from 55 micrometers to 440 micrometers, or one millionth of a meter. So you have, um, you have the uh, SARS-CoV-2, the size of it is a billionth of a meter, and then you have the mask holes that are big enough to be a millionth of a meter. So it sounds like quite a bit of SARS-CoV-2 and COVID can go in between the threads of your masks regardless. Now it says due to the difference in sizes between SARS-CoV-2 in diameter and the face mask threads in diameter, SARS-CoV-2 can easily pass through the face mask. So exactly what I just said, right? Now, it also goes on to say in an early publication, the WHO stated that face masks are not required as no evidence is available of, on its usefulness to protect non-sick persons. In the same publication, the WHO declared that cloth or cotton or gauze masks are not recommended under any circumstances. Conversely, in later publication, the WHO stated that the usage of fabric-made uh, fabric masks, which could be polypropylene, cotton, polyester, cellulose, I didn't even know masks could be made out of cellulose, anyways, gauze and silk, is a general community practice for preventing the infected wearer transmitting the virus to others and or to offer protection to the healthy wearer against infection. Uh, it also says the same publication further conflicted itself by stating that due to the lower filtration, breathability, and overall performance of fabric face masks, the usage of woven fabric masks such as cloth and or non-woven fabrics should only be considered for infected persons and not for prevention practice in asymptomatic individuals. Uh, the center, Central for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, I, I got to stop here, guys, because, I mean, like I said, I'm not credentialed, but I'm also a writer. And it's amazing to me how in these mainstream publications, they have so much error. Anyways, I'm not a grammar Nazi, but I mean, the Central for Disease, it's the Center for disease control. Anyways, okay. All right. It says, uh, they made similar recommendations stating that only symptomatic persons should consider wearing face masks, while for asymptomatic individuals, this practice is not recommended. I mean, come on. And then uh, the study concludes, the existing scientific evidence challenged the safety and efficacy of wearing face masks as preventative intervention for COVID-19. The data suggests that both medical and non-medical face masks are ineffective to block human-to-human -human transmission of viral and in infectious disease such as SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 supporting against the usage of face masks. Wearing face masks has been demonstrated to have substantial adverse physiological and psychological effects. These include hypoxia, hypercapnia, shortness of breath, 
increased acidity and toxicity, activation of fear and stress response, rise in stress hormones, immunosuppression, fatigue, headaches, decline in cognitive performance, predisposition for viral and infectious illness, chronic stress, anxiety, and depression. Long-term consequences of wearing face masks can cause health deterioration, developing and progression of chronic disease and premature death. Government, policymakers, and health organizations should utilize prosper and scientific evidence-based approach with respect to wearing face masks when the latter is considered as preventative intervention for public health. And again, like I said, this chart here, let me pull down this uh, real quick. Uh, it shows you a comment. Now, the, the psychological, psychological effects, I think, are the most interesting um, activation of fight or flight stress responses, chronic stress dis- condition, fear, mood disturbances, insomnia, fatigue, compromised cognitive performance, and other health consequences, increased predisposition for viral and infection illnesses, headaches, anxiety, depression, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, and uh, exacerbation of existing conditions and diseases, as well as accelerating aging processes and health deterioration and premature mortality. So um, we already have reports that this study is being censored. And as we brought uh, brought out uh, earlier in the night on our Q&A Holes Live, uh, there's also a story uh, about how Twitter had banned... Um, uh, an original report by the CDC back in June of 2020 that basically said the same thing. So, you know, Mr. C, I got to dig it up. I got to share it with you guys. This is the article right here. The physiological burden of prolonged PPE, it's a personal preventative, what have you, use on healthcare workers during long shifts. So this this study was directed at how it would affect the, like, you know, um, the... uh, the essential uh, frontline workers um, who would be wearing these masks for, you know, probably eight to 12 hours a day, you know, and like, how is that going to affect them? Um, in summation, it, it said that uh, healthcare workers and first responders often often work long physically and uh, mentally exhausting shifts as they provide care for patients, especially during the public emergencies. These long hours can result in fewer adequate, adequate breaks, uh, personal care, nutrition and hydration. And during these extended shifts. Um, Many are also required to wear personal protective equipment. Thank you, PPE. Yes. Um, But it goes on to show exactly this headache, increased pressure inside the skull, nervous system changes, um, which is also increased pain threshold, reduction in cognition, altered judgment, decreased situational awareness, difficulty coordinating sensory or cognitive abilities, um, abilities and motor activity, decreased visual acuity, widespread activation of the symptomatic nervous system, um, sympathetic nervous system that can oppose the direct effects of CO2 on the heart and blood vessels, increased breathing frequency, increased work of breathing, which is a result of breathing through a filtered medium, cardiovascular effects, um, an example, diminished cardiac or contract Fertility, uh, vasodilation of peripheral blood vessels, reduced tolerance to lighter workloads. So these guys were already saying that um, 
back in June that this was not good for, you know, our essential workers on the front line doing this. But yet we still went ahead and listened to Fauci, who was flip-flopping back then. I mean, back in March, he was saying not to wear masks. Uh, and then all of a sudden, when Donald Trump said, you know, eh, maybe it could be uh, not, he was like, yeah, put your masks on people. So anyway, so that was that story. I thought I'd share it with you guys before we get into our interview with President Trump. Let me go and bring this back up. All right. All right, guys. Okay, cool. So let's get ready. Uh, We're going to listen. We're going to play this um, interview with President Trump and Hannity. Now, I did find it, believe it or not. I did find it. I had to go over to BitChute. And uh, that's where they still have the full interview. And I'm, I'm glad because at least now we can archive it on the show. It won't be scrubbed from the memory boxes uh, of, you know, the Internet and all of those uh, censoring people. Um, now, I have on word that, you know, Fox is not really uh, the kind of people that like you to play their footage. And uh, so consequently, I have like usually played like uh, played the interview and had like a, a photo or something. But we're going to play it. Because at least I know it's on certain safe, uh, you know, uh, places that it won't get scrubbed. So we'll go ahead and do it. Um, And I have played some Fox footage before and they've never come after me. Um, Not like they have, not like others have. So, all right, guys. So sit back, relax, enjoy this interview if you haven't seen it. Uh, If you have seen it, you know, um, come back and join us. I'll be, uh, I'll be joining the chat room in just a sec. And I'll be hanging out in there with you guys while we're watching our president uh, speak uh, with Sean Hannity here on Faux News. All right, guys, here we go. Welcome to Hannity. And tonight we're broadcasting from the always beautiful Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, where in just moments, the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, he will join us for his first sit-down television interview since leaving the White House. No topic is off limits. No question is off the table. We'll cover Joe Biden, the radical left, the future of the GOP in 2022 and 2024, COVID-19, the crisis on our southern border, the mob, the media, and everything in between. And without a doubt, President Trump remains the most dominant force in American politics today, even now three months removed from the Washington swamp. When Donald Trump talks, the world, the country listens. So tonight, for the hour, we welcome the 45th President of the United States, Donald Trump. Mr. President, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Sean. All right, so I know a lot of people that are around you every day. This is what they're all telling me. You are working as hard as you did when you were in the White House, except you play a little golf more. That you're keeping an insane schedule, seven days a week. You, You really don't stop. Well, we're seeing a lot of people. We're seeing a lot of good Republicans and a lot of good Americans, in some cases, great Americans. And we are working very hard and uh, a lot of things to do. Plus, I'm getting more involved for a long time, years. I wasn't involved in the business. I'm more involved in the business. We'll see what I do with respect to that. But the business is doing well and we're doing well. It's uh, been five and a half years of investigations and hoaxes and I see something came out just yesterday about the uh, Russia, Russia, Russia was a total phony deal, and uh, they hate to admit it, but well, intelligence that, that came out. They were putting a bounty Yeah, on the, the bounty, heads. the big yeah. bounty deal, yeah. and now they uh, say that it was a hoax, just like everything else. So it's a, it's a sad thing. Uh, you get impeached for doing nothing wrong, then you get a second impeachment for doing nothing wrong. 
And so it's been pretty wild when you think about it, but and very unfair. So we're working very hard, and I think we you're going to see something that uh, will start to take place in 22 and will culminate in 24. And you're going to see a lot of big things and great things for the Republican Party and for the country when you look at the border and all of the things that are going wrong right now. What a shame at the border. Let me let's start with Joe Biden. Now, I get criticized because the Joe Biden I see now, I can show you tapes of him in 2016. I could show you tapes of him in 2012. And to me, he looks extraordinarily weak, frail. I think it's very transparent. He's struggling cognitively. He usually averages less. We follow his schedule very closely. Less than one event a day. What do you see? How do you grade him three months in? So he's going to be 79 years old. That is not old. I know many people in their late 80s that are just as good as they were years ago. I spoke to one who's 92 years old. He said, I feel better than I did 20 years ago. 78, 79 is not old. Uh, but he, you know, look, uh, I, I don't think it's even appropriate for me to comment on that. It's sort of speaks for itself. I mean, people can make their own determination. I know that if it were me, uh, they would be up and down going crazy, right? But uh, I had an instance where on a slippery, slippery ramp, piece of steel, very steep and very long, no railings, no nothing, and it was pouring at West Point. And the last thing I want to do is go down because when Gerald Ford went down, it was not good. <laughs> now, when Biden went down, the, Three they, times. the press didn't cover it. I mean, if you look at... Well, well, in fairness, his aide said that the wind, it was yeah. very windy, the wind might have blown him over. Did the wind ever blow you over when you were? Well, Air Force One is a very big plane, and usually what they try and do is shield the wind. You know, when they park it, you can turn it at angles, and so you don't ever have too much. I've never seen too much wind. Uh, it can get a little windy, but not the kind of wind that blows you over. But uh, if you look at mainstream media, or as you say, lamestream media, they didn't cover that. If that were a Republican, in particular, if it was me, that would be the biggest story for the rest of uh, the year. But let me, let me ask the question from this perspective, because there are hostile regimes and many hostile actors on the world stage. you got a hostile regime in Russia, hostile actor Vladimir Putin, hostile regime in China, President Xi, you dealt with him a lot. I know Kim Jong-un, the mullahs in Iran, looks like Joe's already capitulated on that. Now... You know them well enough. I'm sure they're studying Joe Biden. Do you are knowing what you know, things that I wouldn't know? Are you concerned about their perception of an American president that seems somewhat frail and weak? Well, something's going on because they never did this with me. That I can tell you. Nobody was tougher on Russia. And frankly, getting along with Vladimir Putin is a good thing. And I got along with them very well. The relationship was very good, very strong. But they never encircled... Ukraine, and they never, in Taiwan, China, they never sent warships all over the place like they're doing now. It looks very serious going on with Taiwan. And that's a long way away. That's 9,000 miles away. They're right next to it. That's like, uh, I mean, it's like very close. So now they're, something's going on with Taiwan. Something maybe is going on with Ukraine. This never was a big subject when I was president. Wasn't at all. Uh, as far as North Korea is concerned, I have a great relationship with a certain man that's got great power over North Korea. And 
You take a look at Kim Jong-un and the relationship that I developed. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Getting along with President Putin is a great thing. You know, we should be doing business with Russia. We should be getting along with Russia. Instead of forcing Russia to go into the hands of China, the worst thing you could do is put China and Russia together. And they're together. And they get forced together. The Russian hoax was very, very bad for the relationship that we would have with Russia. But I got along well with Putin. I got along well with President Xi until the COVID came in or the China virus or whatever you want to call it. When that came in, it was a hold. But we had a, we made a great trade deal. Our farmers are making more money than they've ever made. Wheat prices are the highest they've ever been. They're doing great because China's buying so much. This was the trade deal that we made. But after COVID, uh, trade just didn't seem that important to me. And we did other things, but it was too bad. Let me go to use one of your signature issues from the first day, the day you came down the escalator, and that had to do with immigration. You instituted policy, stay in Mexico policy. It worked. You built, I think by the end, over 450 miles a new border wall. Obviously, walls work. Worked. Uh, Then, of course, you ended the practice of catch and release. Um, Now we see the exact opposite. You've seen these images on TV. I, I, I say they're Biden's cages. I mean, the media went nuts of Donald Trump is putting children in cages. It turned out Joe Biden and Barack Obama built those cages and the images were from 2014, not 2018. My question is this, imagine, well, first of all, your overall take on how dangerous this is. And number two, imagine if you're president and you have, these are Trump's cages overflowing with kids in the middle of a pandemic that with a high positivity of COVID, what do you think the media, because there's been virtual silence on a lot of the aspects, I would, I would argue if it was a daycare center, you'd be shut down and charged with child abuse. They would not stand for it. And they're playing it down as much as they can play it down. It's a horrible situation. It could destroy our country. People are pouring in, but you'll see something as the months go by like you've never seen before. Already it's like you've never seen before. There's never been anything like what's happened at our border. And people are coming in by the tens of thousands. They're walking in. They, they, we had, all he had to do was leave it alone. If he left it alone, we were setting record positive numbers and people would have to come in legally. And you know, the other thing that people don't talk about, human trafficking and drugs, that's double, tripled and quadrupled coming in because that's pouring in right now. Drugs are pouring in. We had it so tight. We were doing so well. All he had to do was leave it alone. Stay in Mexico was a big deal. You know, that wasn't easy to get. We went through court systems. We went through everything. The wall, getting the wall built, and the wall, we were up to almost 500 miles, and completing it was very easy. That was going to be just routine. It would have been done routinely. The contracts were already there. The materials there was going to be done very quickly. And we got delayed for two and a half years because we were sued by Nancy Pelosi in Congress not to build the wall. I won the suits. We won all of the suits. We won everything. And then they don't finish the wall. The wall is imperative. All of the things that go with the wall, the technology that goes into the wall and with the wall is so imperative. We had it down to a number that nobody could believe. And then all of a sudden I hear this. Now here's something else that I stopped money going to three countries. And then you have Mexico where I have a great relationship with the president. He's actually a great guy, different philosophy, but a great guy. He put 28,000 free of charge, 28,000 soldiers on our border to stop people from coming in. And if you look at Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, 
We were giving them $500 million a year, but they weren't letting us take back these incredible, whether it's MS-13, but horrible people, gangsters, drug lords, horrible. They wouldn't let them come back. So I stopped payment. I said, how much are we paying them? $500 million, very early on. And as soon as I stopped payment, they called. We would love to have MS-13 back in our country. They wouldn't let us. If a plane was flying over, they'd block the runways. If buses came in, they wouldn't let you into the country. So we couldn't get anybody back. Now we just bring them back. He ended that. Now what he's doing is they want to give billions, not 500 million. They want to give billions and billions of dollars to these countries. I get along with all three of them, with the top people, all three of them. But they're going to be taking in billions and billions of dollars. And what's going to happen is that money is going to go to people that are going to bring people into our country. One other thing. They're sending us, not their best people, they're sending us people that in many cases, not in all cases, are murderers, drug dealers, human traffickers, really bad rapists, really bad people. They're sending us people from their prisons. Those people are coming into our country. And of course, that's just common sense, because all you have to do is take a look at what happened in the case of Cuba, take a look at what happened in the case of other countries, but the three countries... You have really some unbelievably dangerous people coming into our country. Uh, they're not vetted. You talk about COVID. You talk about all of That's one thing. But they're not vetted from a criminal standpoint. So we have murderers and rapists coming into our country. And they're just walking in. And just to finalize it, we have people from Yemen and the Middle East coming in. And they're coming in at numbers. Now, they can't come in through the airports. They can't get on a plane. And we had the policy, the ban. We had a ban, which was a great thing from very dangerous countries. They're ending the ban. They've already ended it. So the people can come in from dangerous countries. But if you take a look at what's happening with the Middle East, many people from the Middle East are coming in through our southern border alongside of Mexico. What they're doing is insane. They're going to destroy our country. Let me ask this. He's so he, Joe Biden's been in Washington 50 years. He's the ultimate swamp creature. Okay, let's look at Georgia's law. They have 17 days of early in-person voting. Every single county has a drop box. There are no drop boxes in Delaware. There's no early voting in Delaware. Um, both states require voter ID. So now he's saying to the people of Georgia, this is Jim Crow 2.0. And I'm, look, I'm listening to this and I'm like, well, what did you ever do to make voting easier in your state? And the answer is he did nothing. And then he's using this incendiary racial language in the process. What's your reaction to that? My reaction is the Georgia bill is far too weak. It they needs much, what? What would you it's like? Just, well, you have to have signature verification. That's you have, they don't have it. Why don't they have signature verification? You want matching. You want matching signatures. They have many things that they didn't put in. Look, what happened is the governor and others were afraid to be called racist. So they gave a very weak bill, and they're called racist anyway. They had a much stronger bill a few weeks before this one came out. The governor, what he did is so, is so sad. You had a much stronger bill in Georgia. Now, Texas is, has got a, a very strong but fair bill. But you have signature so Florida, matching. So, so does Florida. Ohio. All of the states that we won uh, were properly run. Look, Florida was properly run. Ohio was properly run. South Carolina was properly run. By the way, North Carolina, Democrat governor, we won that. You know, that's always very right. tough to win. We won it very nicely. 
properly run. He happened to have a Democrat governor, in all fairness. How does a guy that whose state has far more restrictive voting laws get 200 corporations, Hollywood stars, Major League Baseball, they all, they all leave, and if you look at his history of racial rhetoric, he partnered with a former Klansman to stop the integration of schools because he didn't want schools, his words, not mine, to become racial jungles. Now, imagine if Donald Trump had ever said that or partnered with a former Klansman. What would the reaction The be? Democrats play a far tougher game than Republicans. The Democrats have horrible policy. No borders, defund the police, sanctuary cities. I mean, thank... By the way, defund the police. Thank goodness for Republicans. Yeah, defund. Well, now they don't want to give anything to the no. police. They're actually getting worse instead of better. And you look at the crime rates in these Democrat-run cities, it's... I mean, they're going up by hundreds of... I, I don't know if you've seen what's going on in New York. I oh, love New York. You I'm see what's going I'm on I'm stupid. I still live there. You're smart. You moved here. You know, New York income tax state and, yeah, and city income, 15% yeah. on top of the new federal rates. All right, we've got to take a break. Okay. All right, sit tight. Much more with President Trump right after this break as we continue. We're in Mar-a-Lago. We're in Palm Beach, Florida. Thanks for being with us. Welcome back to Hannity as we continue with President Donald Trump or Mar-a-Lago. All right, so Operation Warp Speed didn't get us one, but it got us three vaccines. We've been able, that's never happened before. 200 million doses now have gone out to Americans, right. vaccinations. Right. Okay, that means a lot of lives are saved. You were criticized about, about the travel ban 10 days after the first case of COVID. About a year ago, Dr. Fauci was saying, oh, masks don't work in March of last year. So he said, then you have Cuomo and Murphy and Wolf and Whitmer signing these executive actions, sending COVID patients to nursing homes. Now in New York, you sent the Navy hospital ship, converted it for COVID, converted the Javits Center for COVID. You built the hospital, manned the hospital, provided all the ventilators, PPE, glass, uh, gloves, gowns, masks, ventilators that everybody needed. 80% of those beds were never used. And they were sent back to the If they would have home. used Javits Center, if they would have used this great massive hospital ship, all the things that we did for them, you would have saved 16,000 lives, maybe more than that. Why did Operation Warp Speed work so well? What was the, was it that you were financially backing up these pharmaceutical companies that they're not going to experience massive losses? So two things. First of all, we did a great job in getting gowns and masks and all of the different equipment that we were building, equipment, complex equipment, the most complex, getting it out to the states because the cupboards were bare in the states. And I inherited bare cupboards. There was nothing here. We had practically nothing in this country. And now it's been totally rebuilt. We did a great job. We got very little credit for the great job we've done. And then, as you know, Federalist, it should be up to the governors. Some governors were fantastic. I could write a great book. Some were less than fantastic, and some were absolutely terrible. But we, like Ron, did a great job. Texas did a great job. So many, I mean, I could go... Most red states. It's really interesting, isn't it, though? I mean, they did a really great job. The most lockdown state in the whole country is Michigan, and but Michigan is the worst in our country. How did you get warp speed? What, what, was, what was the mandate that, that pushed these companies to do something that had never been done before? So I was told by Dr. Fauci and by many people, the quickest you're going to have a vaccine is three years, 
and it could be five years, and it could be longer than that, and you could also not have it at all. And nobody, I, then I got involved. I said, that's ridiculous. And I got involved with the FDA. Nobody has ever pushed, they hate me. They hate me so badly, and I understand it. And I'm There's telling, a list of people that hate you. No, no. Well, I, you're okay with and that. That's okay. Look, we're helping people. And we're saved, yeah. you know, we're saving tens of millions of people with a vaccine. Yeah. So I pushed them. They had all these statutory periods. They had to go a certain speed. We got it done in you less than nine months. It would have taken minimum three years. Would have probably gone five years. I don't think they would have ever had it. Did you back them up financially as well? Yes. Okay. Then I did two things. I backed the companies up financially, and Pfizer didn't want to admit it, and they had to retract their statement. You know, Pfizer's really in. Okay? I'll give you a little breaking news. Pfizer is in with the FDA. And what the FDA did with Johnson & Johnson is so stupid. You know, they all want me to do a commercial because a lot of our people don't want to take vaccine. You know, I don't know what that is exactly. Republican, I don't know what it is. You encourage people to get it. I, I encourage them to take it, I do. But they want me to make a vaccine. Did you get it? They want, Yes, I did. They want, I had it and I took it, okay? You got both. I, because I believe. So here's, here's the thing. They want me to do a commercial saying, take the vaccine. Well. And they think that's very important and I'd certainly do it. But then I call them, I say, let me ask you a question. You just did something. Six people out of eight million people Somebody said that Tylenol, women's birth control, all cause far more. Six people Out of experienced seven some difficulty. Mm. Six people, and it's too bad. It's terrible. But they, they paused it. That's the worst thing you could have done from a public relations standpoint. They paused Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And it probably even affects the other vaccines a little bit. But they paused it. It's had a devastating impact. I said, they want me to do a commercial, some commercial, and they do this pause. Now, here's your breaking news. They love Pfizer. They get along with Pfizer so well. And Pfizer, I, Pfizer doesn't like me because I put favored nations on prescription drugs. And favored nations will mean, if Biden stays with what I, I did, it's price. in the courts now, it will mean we have the lowest prices, we have the highest prices in the world by far. And in fact, last year, I, I got them to be slightly lower, but just first time it's happened in 32 years. But here's the thing, 52 years. Yeah. But here's the thing, I put a favorite nation's clause. So Pfizer and all these drug companies dislike me also. You know, I can be liked by everybody, but I won't be doing a good job. So I put favorite nations because you have countries that pay a tiny fraction for the exact same pill made in the exact same factory that comes in the exact same box. And what I did, Sean, is put a favored nations, meaning the United States will pay whatever the price is of the lowest nation in the world. The drug companies went crazy. They spent a lot of money and they did something else. They got, there they are got companies. together. Why are they trying to, charging us more? They got together with the FDA mm -hmm. and before the election, they knew we had the answer before the election. Instead of saying vaccine. we have the vaccine, it works, 95%, all this. They waited two days after the election. Pfizer did that with the FDA. Now, the FDA, a lot of bureaucrats, but they, and they've been there for a long time. And they'll be there for a long time. But they were very slow. And they've been very slow. So Pfizer got together. Button. And I'll tell you something. I think it's very suspect is what they did with Johnson & Johnson, because the only people that are happy about that are Pfizer and Moderna. The only people that are happy about that, because what they did is, is a terrible, terrible thing.
Welcome to Hannity's. We continue as we're broadcasting from Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, where we are joined for the hour. President Donald Trump is with us. I want to go to this, this next question. I want to talk about the future. There is the Trump agenda, the Make America Great agenda. Right. I'll sum it up because I think it's th this will define 2022 and 2024. Very simple, more liberty, more freedom, a belief in the Constitution, lower taxes, less bureaucracy, constitutionalists on the bench. You want secure borders, legal immigration, energy independence. Uh, you believe in law and order, safety and security for every American, simple stuff, school choice, right. free and fair trade. Right. And what? Peace through strength. What am many, I missing? What am many, I missing? And many other things. The yeah. big thing is taxes, low taxes. Low taxes. Big, we, you're going to have the biggest tax increase you've ever seen. Uh, Pro-life, Second Amendment, so many different things that, look, we got 75 million votes. It's more than any sitting president in history by far. The word was if we got 65 to 66, you know, we got 63 the first time in one. If you got 65 to 66, there was no way you lost. We got more votes. We got 12 million more votes than we got. And it's never happened to another president. I don't know if you know, Sean. Usually in a second term, a president gets less votes. I got 12 million more. It's the biggest that's ever happened in history, from 63 to 75. Never happened before. And all of these things are good. These are popular things. But more important than popular, they're great things for this country. They're going to rip apart your Second Amendment. They're doing things to this country that Bernie Sanders would have said impossible. And I don't know if Joe knows what's going on with it, because I think you have a cabal. You have a group of people that are sitting around a table just saying, do this, do this, do this, and giving them these things to sign. It's hard to believe. Now, we're going to take back the House in 22. We have a real chance. We were supposed to lose 25 seats. I got involved. I called 56 different districts, and we ended up picking up 16 instead of losing all 25. All 27 toss-up races before the election went Republican. All 27. Every single, and we didn't lose one seat. Okay, so here's my broader question. and I, Which has never happened before. Okay, so I laid out the Make America Great Again agenda. America first, Make America Great Again, your agenda. I'd add to that free market solutions for health care. Yeah. Protecting pre-existing conditions. That's another issue. But when if they want to take away your health care, your health care and Obamacare. You know, think of it, which is terrible. And by the way, we did a good job with Obamacare. I was given a choice very early on because we had people voting against a couple of Republicans. The Republicans have to unify. The Democrats are always they may have bad policy, but they don't you don't have a Romney. You don't have a little Ben Sass. You don't have these people over there. Well, Lisa Murkowski. Lisa Murkowski's a disaster. I mean, she's a total disaster. And we've done so much, not into it for her, but so much. If you look, Anwar in Alaska, the great highway that they've been looking to build for years. So many different things I've done. A, a train going into Canada and ultimately the United States, a railroad. We've done so much for Alaska and much more than that. I always say never has anyone done so much for so little. So let's let's lay out the, what what I listed is the Cliff Notes version of what your agenda has been. Pretty simple. What you're, okay, so now we've got elections coming up. 
You're right. It's the, the tiniest margin that they have in the House. Well, Nancy Pelosi almost lost a job over it. Correct. She was supposed to be up 30, 35, 40. She's up only a few seats right now. And so, that was because I called districts having thousands and thousands of people on the phone. And I was making calls, getting congressmen elected. I said to Kevin McCarthy three things. Give me everyone that you think is going to lose. Give me everyone that you think is tied. And everyone's just going to win by a little bit. Also, give me all of your new people. In other words, the new ones coming in, many of whom are women. I called all of them. And instead of losing 25 seats, we won 16. I mean, that's an incredible thing. I can tell you a week before I called him and he said he was very worried. So uh, that was... Well, we did that. I wasn't worried. And so, so when you get into a district and you have 20,000 people on a call, you don't have to... This now, is, this now gets down to that was your agenda. You're right. You went, you went up, what, 12, 13 million more votes the second election than the first one. My question is... Never happened before. Well, but my question is the ideas. The, the, it'll, there, there's one other sidebar factor is that it, I think, when I talk to people, they love the fact that Donald Trump fights. Okay, he makes promises, he keeps them, he fights for the, these principles I mentioned. Now the question is, for 2022... We have the House, but then you have, look at these states, Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, right. New Hampshire, Wisconsin, Ohio, Arizona. These are the biggest bellwethers for what, and I would argue, probably a precursor or a preview of coming attractions for 2024. My question is this, is this, should this now be the Republican Party agenda? Should anybody that wants to run for the House or the Senate, should they take this Make America Great agenda and fight for those things that you fought for the four years you were president? If they want to win, yes. We've expanded the Republican Party. You've seen, I mean, the Texas border. Uh, we have the biggest Hispanic vote since, as the governor said to me, he called me up, great governor. He said, since Reconstruction. I said, you're talking about Civil War, right? He said, since Civil War. If you want to win and win big, you have to do that. You have to do it. Now, let me just say, I talked about the House. So we're supposed to lose 25, we won 16. Let, let me, me stop you, you here. If I, if I didn't get involved in the Senate, oh, you would have lost question. at least eight senators. You would be right now. If I didn't get involved, you would be 60 to 40 with the Democrats leading. The governorships are huge. We just endorsed... As you know, Sarah, Sarah Huckabee, she's going to do fantastically well. Most I've people dropped out well. of the race, and yeah. she's leading by a lot. Uh, we've endorsed a lot of Senate candidates. Uh, Mo Brooks in Alabama, uh, he just went up 41 points, and it looks like he's got clear sailing. Marco Rubio. Uh, Marco, many, many people. Look, many people. And I'm not looking to reinvent the wheel. I'm not looking to say, well, we want super conservative, only Trump. I also want them to win after the primaries, but I'm at 128 and 2 when I address people, 128 and 2. And if you go back earlier than that, we're at a much even higher number. When we endorse them, it means something, not just for the primaries, but for the general election. So we have great people running. We have some great people that are going to be announcing. We have tremendous people. If the Republican Party did get a little tougher, the agenda I spelled out, liberty, freedom, first, second amendment, constitutionalists on the bench, low taxes, less bureaucracy, energy independence, peace through strength, uh, border security, legal immigration, free and fair trade. That's, if every Republican running 
ran on that agenda and made a promise to fight hard to implement that agenda, it seems to me, based on the number of votes you got in 2020, that that would be a winning formula. My question is, will you help them formulate that narrative? I don't think it's that complicated. Not complicated. It's common sense. You know, it's like it should be the party of common sense. You need people that can lead, that have a vision, that have personality. Otherwise, the clock is, is just, it, the clock is ticking. Sean, we have much better policy. Second Amendment, if we take, low taxes. You take, by the way, regulation, you didn't mention regulation. You know, I cut taxes more than any president's ever cut taxes, but there was another thing I cut I more. Mention regulation. regulation. Bureaucratic regulation. Regulation, I think, was more important. Yeah. And you know who a big beneficiary of that is? Biden. Because I cut so much. It used to take 20 years to get a highway approved. Now you can, now you can do it in, in a very short period of time. And as we continue from Mar-a-Lago, my exclusive interview with the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, I want to know this question. What are your plans for, to help for 2022? We talked about the House and the states. Are you thinking about running again in 2024? And if so, where are you in that process? We are going to help with the House. I think we have a really good chance. I'm working with everybody, including Kevin McCarthy. I'm taking back the House. I think we have a really good chance in doing it. Uh, likewise, the Senate's going to be a little bit tougher. But the Senate, so I told you that at least eight senators would have lost their race. I could name them, but I don't want to embarrass them. Uh, but that includes Mitch, who was heading south. He called me up. He said, I need your help. And I'm very popular in Kentucky. I love Kentucky. And they love me. And I helped him. And he won by the most he's ever won by. So we are going to help. Okay. I think we have a good chance of Marco Rubio. I hear Herschel's name mentioned a lot in Georgia. Herschel, I hear Laura Trump's name mentioned a lot in North Carolina. Sununu in New Hampshire. I don't even win that race. Ron, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. Ron Johnson's a great, I'm a great senator. He is a great, he is much more popular than anybody on the state. We don't know who's going to run in Ohio. Um, these are all some good candidates in Ohio. So I think we have a real chance at the Senate. I think we have a really, really good chance. So tell me what, how far are you willing to go? No, are you going to travel? Are you going to do speeches? Are you going to do rallies for these candidates? If they need a rally, we'll do a rally. We'll do uh, calls. We'll do all sorts of things. No, no, we're all in. Uh, Alabama is going to be a tremendous win. We have a tremendous uh, Almost everybody I endorse wins. We had a house seat in Louisiana, a wonderful woman. You know, it just happened. Her husband died of COVID. He was congressman-elect. And she is, she was fantastic. But a lot of people thought she might not get in the runoff. I endorsed her. She got 65% of the vote. There was no runoff. It's very important that we get the right people. And that means in the Senate. It means in the House. And it also means in governorships because... If you have a good governor and legislature, state legislature, well, that's so, but you know, the legislatures have, that's where they're going to fix the voting. We had a lot of great legislators. Unfortunately, the courts refuse to listen, even though it's in the constitution that they have to, the courts have been very, I I argue, usurps the constitutional authority of state legislatures. Now the big question, two parts, what do you miss the most about being in the White House, and how seriously are you considering running again in 2024? 
I was the most helping people because I can directly help people. That's why I did it. I said, look, this has been a very traumatic, I had a great life, great company, great business, no problems. And now all I do is people go after you. It's, it's vicious. It's horrible. But you know what? I love doing it because I help people. And I've helped them more than any president with the cutting of taxes, with the regulations, with uh, right to try. You know how big right to try is? Huge. Where you don't have to travel to all sorts of different continents to try and get something. We have the greatest doctors in the world, greatest labs. We can use their medicines now. If somebody's terminally ill, they can sign a quick little document. You can use it, and, and it's had a huge thing. What are you most proud of, though? A lot of things. Uh, I'm very proud of the tax cuts. I hope they don't screw it up because the jobs. So you know, we brought back a record. I think so. We brought back a record. Well, it's still not going to be as high as it was. You know, it's only 39 percent. Right. So it looks like it could be a 25 percent. I brought it down to 21. But I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the, and, and very importantly, the regulation. And so I'm very proud of what I did for the military. I've rebuilt the military, and I've added something called Space Force. It's going to be so powerful, so important. So I've added another, think of it, I've added to the military. It hasn't happened since, I guess, 75 years since the Air Force. And the economy added pre-COVID. Space Force. Record low unemployment. We had the greatest numbers in the history of the world. We had the greatest economy in history, world. We had the greatest economy. We had the greatest job numbers. We had the great. We're up to 160 million people. We were never even close to that. And if you think of it, I did it twice. Because then the whole world went down. We've come back stronger than any other country in the world. You know, they used to hit me with Germany and France and this and that. Well, they're doing terribly right now. They're all locked down. It's a disaster. They're having riots on their streets. This country is coming back strong. And it's very interesting. Uh, places like Florida and Texas and many others. I mean, I could name many others. Uh, I think in almost all cases run by Republicans. I think in all cases. But they've done so well. And you look, I saw the other day, Michigan, I would say there's been nothing as close other than for her husband, who was, you know, had free run of the place. I don't think that there's been any state more locked up than Michigan. Are you running again in 2024? What, what are the odds? If I were to First ask... First of all, it's a long time. The odds, the odds, what are the odds? Look, the odds, I got yeah. tremendous yeah. numbers. Nobody's ever gotten the numbers I got. No sitting presidents come even close. There's more popularity now than there was the day before the election because they see how bad things are at the border. They see what's going on. They see that their guns are going to be gone. Their Second Amendment, their taxes are going up. Regulations are going through the roof. Jobs are going to go out. What do you see? You know, this is going to take a little while to show. But if they had all these regulations back, the jobs are going to be gone. Your energy independence is going to be gone. So I, I say this. I, I am looking at it very seriously beyond seriously uh, from a legal standpoint i don't want to really talk about it yet it's a little too if you did run and did win what would you do differently um when i came in we were hit with phony russia 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 investigations it was a total phony deal i was three years of your presidency no, i've been i've been fighting with investigations for five years i mean really since the almost the day that we came down and they were corrupt democrat inspired i still have it they were democrat inspired investigations russia i remember sean and i don't have too much time i guess with 
story I think it's interesting. I haven't told it before. That during the campaign in 2016, I'd be asked by one of our aides, Sir, do you have anything to do with Russia? I said, no. That would be it. Then a month later, somebody would say, What do you know about Russia? I said, no, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I wouldn't think of it. Then after three or four or five times, people would say, Do you know anything about Russia? I kept saying, Huh. So after three or four times, I said, what's going on with Russia? They created a phony deal. It was paid for by Hillary, crooked Hillary Clinton. They made a phony Russian disinformation dossier. Oh, true. and they used it to spy right. on you as a candidate, right. your transition team, and while you were president. It says at the top of a FISA warrant, verified. It was unverifiable, and they knew it 17 times. They knew it right from the get-go. They knew it they were long beforehand, and they knew it certainly from Christopher Steele and the subsource. By it January. was a total fraud. Yeah. And you know what it did? It hurt any possibility of dealing with Russia. We could have, we could have had a good look. They'll say, "Oh, he loves Russia." Getting along with Russia is a good thing, not a bad thing. Getting along with China is a good thing. The problem we had with China was COVID. Because nobody ever took out so much money from China. You know, if you look at China, I was taking tens of billions of dollars of tariffs from China, and our farmers were doing great. The reason they were doing great was because of the tariffs, I was able to sign a great deal for our farmers. But getting along with these countries, getting along with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, when I came in, President Obama said, and I think this is very public, it's going to, the biggest problem we have is North Korea. There's going to be a war. There's no war. We're going to go great. Letters. I like him. He likes me. There's nothing wrong with that. I got along great with President Putin. I liked him. He liked me. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. They made up this phony hoax just recently, which came out two days ago, that was a total phony Russian. It was a big deal in the campaign. No, but you know what it does? It keeps you away from these countries from dealing economically. We could have made a lot of money. They have great natural resources. We could have made a lot of money and done well in jobs and everything else. Getting along with Russia is a good thing. Getting along with these countries is a good thing, not a bad thing. I'm going to bet. There's probably a lineup now. It sounds like you're running. It sounds like you haven't lost any engagement. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Thank you. All righty, guys. That was the Hannity interview. And, God, we had some good conversation in the chat room. Thanks, guys. That was really great. Um, uh, who's that? It said uh, Tam Jarrell. I'm sorry if I'm not saying your name right. <laughs> there was another name in the chat um, in a different room, and I was like, I don't think I'm saying that right. But uh, saw the interview three times, or hopefully third time was a charm, right? <laughs> yeah, I know it goes. But, yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I really still believe in this man. And uh, we'll see where this goes. But um, based on everyone's chat in the room, I mean, it sounds like everyone is still rooting for America and for America first, for the Patriots, for the Constitution, for the United States of America, for what we stand for, right? And um, um, regardless of where uh, President Trump may be um, across the line or not, whether he takes up, you know, that mantle of presidency again, and uh, at least optically speaking, or if he is just, you know, the backbone uh, to support those who will take the fight for America first to the front lines. Uh, I'm sure he'll be there uh, in, in some regards, um, even as 
this shadow presidency, it seems, that he is doing from Mar-a-Lago continues. All right, guys. So I'm going to wrap up the show. Thanks for coming in, hanging out tonight with Mr. C and the C Report. It was really cool to get to uh, to chat with you guys on the show and stuff like that. So we will be back tomorrow at our regular time, 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. We'll be doing some headlines. So I look forward to seeing you guys then. But until then, you guys have a great night. Keep the faith like you always do. And we will see you tomorrow. Good night, y'all. Thank you.